So we are in the book of Romans, finishing up chapter 3, and we're talking about the gift of righteousness, and uh, we've got to get this. It's not an option. Sadly, most Christians don't fully understand the gift of righteousness, especially the practical implications of it. Our lives as Christians will be changed if we get this. So I want to begin this morning by just kind of going over the gift of righteousness. Some of it we've said before, but we can't say it enough. I'm probably also just going to be taking it from a little bit different angle. And at the end, as you see, we're going to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, which I think is very appropriate in light of what we're talking about. So, we're talking about the gift of righteousness or the gift of justification. In the Greek, they're the same word. In English, for some reason, we use two different words, and I kind of get it. There's a reason for that, but it can also be confusing for us. Just know that we'll be using that interchangeably. The gift of justification and the gift of righteousness. So the gospel, which is what? The good news, it begins with the gift of righteousness. Everything else, and there's much more as we're going to see in the book of Romans, is built on having a good understanding of the gift of righteousness. If we don't understand this, our understanding of other truths of the gospel are going to be weak or maybe even powerless. We may know about it up here, but we won't live it. Actually, I have an illustration up here, and uh, this can uh, show you a little bit. Let's see if this, uh, you know, maybe these lights need to maybe go down a little bit here. But here we see the justification. That's what we're talking about. That's the foundation. Understanding and receiving by faith this great gift of justification is essential as a foundation. We've been declared righteous. And we're going to see this in Romans 3, 4, and 5. After that, we're going to talk about sanctification or transformation. And we're going to see uh, how we're being conformed to the image of Jesus. That is something separate from justification. But it has to be built upon the foundation of justification. And then if we're talking about bearing fruit, that has to be built upon both of these two. And in fact, we'll see that in Romans 9 through 16, more or less. But there is a progression here. And certainly, God's calling us for all three at the same time. But to the degree we understand justification, to that degree will we understand sanctification. And to that degree will we be bearing fruit. Now, what happens if this foundation is, let's say, just kind of a little sliver here, which is the way a lot of Christians are? then you never can get much of a, you never can really build upon that 
with sanctification and bearing fruit, can you? So this is very important to get. Okay? And again, it's truly understanding and receiving it by faith or living it by faith. Okay? So justification, because it says, we have been justified. We saw that last week. It is in the Greek tense. It's, it's an aorist tense, which we don't have in English. We don't have in Spanish. But it means being continually being justified. And being justified means I've been made righteous. It's a gift. Because I know in myself, I'm not righteous. I know that all of you are not righteous in yourselves. And that's the problem. We saw that in Romans 1, 2, and the first part of 3, right? But Jesus' great gift to us was that he declared us righteous. He became righteousness for us. And, uh, and it's a completely, it's a complete righteousness. It's 100%. It's total. And we are now righteous enough to stand between Almighty God. Again, not in ourselves, but because of this gift that He's given to us. Now, we also see this is a gift that's needed by everyone. Right? No exceptions. That's because we've all sinned. And so therefore, we all qualify for this gift. All of us are unrighteous without exception. None are righteous, not even one, it says earlier in Romans 3. In fact, we don't even come close. It doesn't matter our life's accomplishments. It doesn't matter where we've come from, the color of our skin, the language we speak. We all are in need of this gift. And none of us can do anything to earn it or be worthy of it. None of us can buy it, even with all the money of the world. In this regard, all humans are on the same playing field. No one has it better than anyone else. Okay, another thing we've talked about. This is a gift which was purchased because all gifts cost something, especially the more expensive ones, right? If I were to give you a brand new car, and I don't even know what a fancy car is. Sean, I think, always says they're Fords, but uh, <laughs> no, he doesn't like Fords. That's why I say that. But uh, what's a fancy car these days? I don't even know. What's the most expensive car on the uh, market now? What's that? Okay, whatever Sean said. Okay, <laughs> you can tell I don't. I'm not much into cars. But if I were to give something like that, I've got to pay for it, right? And this is the best, most precious gift in the world because it's for everybody and it's for all generations and it's for all time. And this gift was purchased by the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus. So 1 Peter, we looked at this last week, but let's look at it again. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19 knowing that you were not redeemed 
with perishable things like silver and gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. In other words, silver and gold, uh, that can't buy this gift. But with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That is what was used to purchase us. Romans 5, haven't gotten there yet, but we will, we will in a few weeks. Romans 5 verse 9, much more than having now been justified or made righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So again, by his blood, Jesus became the sacrificed lamb. He became the propitiation, as we talked about last week. This is how he paid for the gift. Hebrews 9, verse 12 through 14. It says, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. Speaking of Jesus, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. I like that. Once for all. Because in the past, what happened? The high priest had to go continually every year. And for special occasions all throughout the years. But this was once for all, for all of mankind. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, the blood of Jesus washes and cleanses us completely. Even our conscience is kind of cleansed once for all. So, and here's the practical part. Because of this, because we've been declared righteous, now we can go before God in full confidence, in complete right standing before our God. We can go. Before, we couldn't because we were sinful. We were unrighteous, and we still are, but the beauty is that this gift, His blood, covers us in such a way that we can go before Him continually. Hebrews 10, while we're in the book of Hebrews, starting verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place or the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. See, the blood of Jesus made it possible for us to go before Him by a, living in, by a new and living way in which He inaugurated for us through the veil, which is His flesh. And then verse 22, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Do you get that? We go into the holy place, the presence of God, with confidence now. Therefore, it says in verse 22, let us draw near to him. 
His presence. Let us do it in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, which is that yes, we can come. Because He who promised is faithful in this. We have confidence now to enter into the presence of God because of the blood of Christ. So let us draw near. Let us hold fast with confidence. Hebrews 4.16. Very similar. It says, Therefore, let us draw near. See, that's, that's really the exhortation of the book of Hebrews. Let us draw near. And how? With confidence. To where? To the throne of grace, which again is his presence. Why? That we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. See, it's in his presence. It's in his holy place. It's at his throne that we find mercy and grace. So if we kind of stay away from his presence or from the throne of grace because we feel guilty, what happens? We don't receive the grace and mercy that we need. Revelation chapter 7. I like this verse. It says, um, verse 9, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude. It's talking about the very, at the very end, which no one can count from every nation and tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne. See, where are they? They're before the throne and before the Lamb. They're before Jesus. And what? They're clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. So, why are they before the throne? Let's kind of look down in verse uh, 13. Let's read a little bit more. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. And look at this. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Do you get that? We are made white before him. We have the robes of righteousness because of the blood of the Lamb. And therefore, we can be before the throne. In fact, the next verse, verse 15, it says, For this reason, because they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, for this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. See, if we want to have white robes that we can come before the throne, and of course I realize this is talking about at the very end, but even now we approach him not in our own righteousness. We can't do that. But because we have the robes of righteousness that he's given us, they've been washed white in the blood of Jesus. And for this reason, they're before the, they're before the throne. A question all of us need to be asking. Are we approaching him guilty? Or 
justified with confidence. The answer depends on our understanding of this gift of justification. Are we approaching him confident in our own flesh? If so, that's going to be short-lived. And we're going to swing back to feeling guilty. I've kind of shared this before a long time ago, but scientists talk about the stars in the heavens. For us, they look very far away. They're just like little specks, right? In reality, some of them are bigger than our sun. Another reality about the stars is that some of them might be twice as far away as the other, or five times, or ten times, or a hundred times further. But when we see them from up here, it's so far away, they're still all like specks to us, right? Little dots. That's the way our righteousness is from God's perspective. Our own righteousness, when He looks at us, I might feel like I'm more righteous than Him. Look at me, God. But still, when he sees me, my righteousness is so far back, it looks like just two stars. He doesn't see it. He doesn't, I mean, he can see it, but he is, it's all our righteousness. Even, even me on my best day, my righteousness doesn't begin to measure up to what God calls for me. Revelation 12. Verse 10, now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, speaking of the devil, Satan, the enemy, has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. We talked about this last week. He accuses us constantly. But notice, and they overcame him. He mentions three things. What's the first thing? Because of the blood of the lamb. Because when he accuses us and says, Mike, you've had a rotten day. You know, you were angry at this person. And there's bitterness in your heart here. And you did this and you did that. What? You're going to come this morning and preach God's word? Oh, what a hypocrite. See, he accuses us, does it? He accuses me. He accuses all of us. And it's easy to kind of say, oh, yeah, I know. I feel so bad. I'm so guilty. I'm so faithless. That may all be true. But because of the blood, I stand righteous before him. I'm clean before him. I can go confidently with boldness. I can draw near all these things we've been seeing, we've been looking at. And so, and so. We come to God with the blood of Jesus because of it. You know, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. And I want to ask you, are you overcoming the accuser by the blood of the Lamb? If not, you're going to be batted around, hit around. You're going to feel kind of like up and down in your Christian life. When you... There could be days you feel really good. And you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm getting this together. I, I, I feel myself doing it. See, that's the problem. We're doing it. And so what happens? We feel like I can go before the Lord anytime. But then what happens? We get slammed down because we fall again, because we all fall. And then the accuser comes in and beats us up. And that's why a lot of people 
up and down or around and around. God wants us to be able to go confidently before the throne of God on our best day and our worst day. The blood of Jesus is powerful. I shared this story I know a while ago, but maybe a lot of people haven't heard this, but when we first got married, we were leading a youth ministry. We were youth too. We were about 20, 22 years old ourselves, but uh, we were leading a bunch of teens and uh, in high school, and God was really, it's called the solid rock. And this is a season, in fact, some of you saw the Jesus revolution. This was the time when it seemed like every week there's a couple more people kind of coming. And there's one, I think it was a Thursday night. We were gathering, and all of a sudden I started getting phone calls. Mike, Mike, guess what? So-and-so's coming, and he's a Satanist. And he is wanting to put a curse on us tonight. I thought, I'm not worried about that. Let him come. He's probably lost. <laughs> In fact, I know he's lost. And uh, so, uh, but everyone's all worked up about this. Of course, everyone came just because they wanted to see what was going to happen. And sure enough, this Satanist came. He was in high school too. I, I'm not even sure how much of a Satanist he was in high school, but he thought he was. And uh, we get there and, you know, I greet him in the name of Jesus. And we all sit down and he's, uh, you know, we, we want to start worshiping. And uh, which we always did first. And he's there kind of, I guess he's trying to put a curse on us or something. And, uh, and it was affecting everybody. You know, we were trying to sing a song and it was like, everyone was like, I don't know whether or not they were intimidated by him or, or maybe there was just a spirit of heaviness, a demonic thing. I, I don't know what it was, but it was heavy in there. And we sang a second song and about a third song. And I thought, Man, what's wrong with everybody? You know, and then it, the Lord had been speaking to me about the blood of Jesus in this season of my life. And all of a sudden I remember the blood of Jesus. And I said, why don't we sing this song? There's power in the blood. And I started singing it. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. I'm not good at singing, but anyway, it goes something like that. And, uh, and it started off kind of weak, but probably by the second stanza, it was getting stronger and stronger. And everyone started singing, singing. And this poor guy, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, he just bolted out of there. He couldn't stand it because we were talking and praising God for the power of his blood. It was gone. So there's power in God's blood. Jesus' blood. Now, now, let me say this. I know that... Let me be careful how I say this. I know some people have probably used the blood of Jesus because there's power in it in almost a superstitious way. You know, uh, there's churches that do this. Like, I've, I've talked to people who have said... Yeah, I was afraid last night, so I pleaded the blood of Jesus over all the doorknobs. That way the demons wouldn't get in. The idea is correct that the blood of Jesus is powerful. But I don't think we've got to kind of 
plead the blood of Jesus over our doorknobs. You know, because if we are truly justified, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't have to fear the evil one. Does that make sense? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to my brothers and sisters who use that terminology. I'm just not so sure about the theology of it all. You know. But there is theology, good theology, in the fact that I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus overcomes the evil one. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. So it is true we are covered by the blood of Jesus when we go before him. If we go before him by faith. And this is such an important principle. And again, we talked about last week. I'm talking about again this week. But if we don't get this, we're going to be subject to up and down in our Christian life. And therefore, we never, you know, fast forward 10 years and we're still kind of going around and around the same things. God wants us to be confident in our approaching him. Let's look at this from another angle. When we remain in a position of guilt, because I'm listening to the accusations of the evil one, you know what we're really doing? We're really declaring that Jesus' death is not sufficient for me. Well, I wouldn't want to say that. Well, that's what we're really saying. Or we're really saying that we have to add to what Jesus already did at the cross. I've got to be, I have to have a good day for me to be right before him because his blood was only halfway. It only got me halfway. That's not true, is it? Or we're declaring that Jesus' death, that we really don't believe it, or we don't believe it's all that important, what he did. It's not that valuable. The truth is it is valuable, and it's, it's valuable enough, and it's permanent enough to take care of all your sins and all my sins for the rest of our lives. We are continually justified. Okay, Hebrews 10, 29. Obviously, Hebrews talks a lot about this too. That's why I keep going there. Verse 29, it says, How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? See, we can almost trample over and insult and regard the blood of Jesus as unclean. How do we do that? by thinking it's not good enough for us, that it's not strong enough or sufficient enough for us to be clean before him. The gift of justification, it will, if we receive it by faith, it will change our life. But it's not just receive it one time, but it's, it's every time we go before the Lord. Lord, I go before you today, not in my own righteousness. By the way, what does Isaiah 64 say about our righteousness? It's as filthy rags. 
That's how God sees it. But if we take the robes of righteousness, made white by the blood of Jesus and wear those, we can come before him. Okay, let's go back to Romans 3. We're just going to go very briefly over these last few verses here. Verse 27, it says, where, there, where then is boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? Of what? Works? No, but by the law of faith. Faith is what makes this ours. The gift is for everybody. But it only works and it's only appropriated as I receive it by faith. By faith, the Israelites, back in Exodus, they smeared the blood on the doorpost, right? And the death angel passed over their house. By faith, we receive the gift of justification. Next verse. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is he? Yeah, why don't we just kind of stop there. Therefore, we could say it this way, that boasting or bragging or thinking we're better than others, it has no place. But for the mercy of God, we would all be incurring the wrath of God, wouldn't we? We've been forgiven an enormous debt that we never could pay ourselves. How could we boast as if we had something to do with it? We're justified by faith and faith alone. Verse 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. In other words, pagans, religious people, all of us. Faith is necessary for all of us. And then verse 30, 31. Since indeed God who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we not nullify the law by faith through faith? Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. In other words, faith confirms the law because it shows us, because it confirms how much we need help outside of ourselves, don't we? You know, verse 27, it talks about the law of faith. And I just want to kind of say that this law of faith affects every part of our life. You know, it's uh, Romans 1, 17, remember that? It says, the righteous man shall live by faith. Not just begin the Christian life, but he lives by faith. Faith is so important for us to get. And as we look at chapter 4 in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that faith begins with justification and the practical implications of it, but it extends to every area of our life. Faith makes a reality out of the truths of God. It helps us to enjoy the abundance of the Christian life.
the gift of justification, we're going to keep talking about it because chapter 4, chapter 5, keep talking about it. But I think today we need to realize it's a gift. There's a practical application of it. And as I said last week, and I want to say it again this week, I want to make sure that all of us understand this gift of justification. And if there's anyone who has a question on whether or not they've received this gift of justification, I encourage you to get that right before God. I, I know sometimes I've talked to people, and this is kind of the way they respond when I talk to them about, have you given your life to the Lord? Have you received the gift of justification? They'll kind of talk about, they'll say things, well, I grew up in a Christian church, a Christian family. And I say, no, no, I'm not talking about growing up in a Christian family. Have you personally received this gift of justification or the gift of eternal life? Because justification leads to eternal life. And they'll say, well, I've prayed to God a lot. That's not the question. The question is, have you received this gift of righteousness? I kind of did. I think, yeah, I can remember a time that maybe I did. You know, my suggestion, if you're in this boat, if you're like this, I... My recommendation is you get that settled once and for all. This is too important. Eternity depends on it. This is too important for you to kind of think, well, I think I kind of have. I'm not really sure. So if you're unsure this morning, or maybe you're sure you've never really done this before, if you are willing to give your life to the Lord and to follow Him, and open your heart and ask him to change you. You say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to do that. It begins with receiving the gift of justification. Because you can't live for him unless you are justified or made righteous. So it begins there. And that's why some people, I think, they almost try to skip that Step, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go to church a lot. I'm trying to read. You know, I, I, I'm, asking, I'm talking to God all the time. That, that's good. I'm glad you're doing that. But that is different from receiving the gift of righteousness or justification. So I'm going to pray now. And uh, if you're in that case, then I ask you to pray along with me, okay? And do it in faith. Because we know you have to do it in faith. You might say, yeah, but my faith is kind of up and down. But that's okay. God knows that. In fact, he says we always start with a little bit of faith. But we have to take a step of faith. And that step of faith for you might be opening your heart, opening your life, to him, to follow him, beginning with receiving this great, wonderful gift of justification. Let's pray. And I'm going to pray this slowly, then that way you can repeat it to the Lord. Lord, I need this gift of righteousness. 
I am a sinner. I am helpless. But Lord, I desire to know you. I take that first step now. Maybe it's a step that you've skipped over sometime in the past. But I take that first step now and I accept your gift of justification. Not because I deserve it. I receive it by faith now. I see that your blood has cleansed me. And I can go freely and confidently before you now. I get eternal life because of this gift of righteousness. I accept that. Take my life, Jesus. Make me into the type of person you want me to be. I choose to follow you. Thank you for the new life that you're giving me now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.